Welcome to the North Main Podcast, a production of North Main Street Church of God in Butler, Pennsylvania. This podcast brings you North Main's messages every week. We strive to know God intimately, grow in Christ continually, and go for Him daily. I invite you to listen in today as we explore the Bible and learn about its unchanging truths for living life God's way. Let's listen in to this week's message. Stephen Hawking advanced the what is called the general theory of relativity uh, further than any person since Albert Einstein. And unfortunately, Hawking was afflicted with what is called ALS syndrome or Lou Gehrig's disease, and it eventually would be the thing that would take his life. He's no longer with us. He died a few years back. Um, but for the longest portion of his life, he was confined to a wheelchair where he could do little more than sit and think. Um, he lost the ability to even speak and was only able to communicate through a computer device that was operated from the tiniest movement of his eyes. Quoting from Omni Magazine article back uh, in the day, it says, he was too weak to write, to feed himself, to comb his hair, to fix his classes that he was teaching and all of that stuff had to be done for him like would have to be done for a newborn infant yet this most dependent of all men escaped what we would call the invalid status (coughs) excuse me his personality shown through the messy details of his existence Hawking once said that he had very little interest in life before he became sick with Lou Gehrig's disease. He called it a pointless existence in life, resulting from sheer boredom. This was as he was a young adult in university studying and all of that. He drank too much. He did very little work. Then he learned that he had ALS syndrome and was not expected to live more than two years when he was diagnosed. The ultimate effect of that diagnosis, beyond its initial shock, actually had a positive result on his life. He claimed to have been happier after he was afflicted than he was before. And how can you understand that? He provided an answer. When one's expectations, he says, are reduced to zero, you begin to really appreciate everything that you have. Stated another way, contentment in life is determined in part by what a person anticipates from it. What do you expect from life? To a man like Hawking, who thought that he would soon die quickly, everything took on a meaning, like a sunrise or a walk in the park, which he would quickly come to lose. The laughter of children in the playground. Suddenly, each small pleasure became precious to him. By contrast, those who believe life owes them a free ride are often discontent with its finest gifts. So what is expectation? I want to talk about that today as we continue in our new series this month. (laughs) Expectant hearts is today's message. 
what do you expect? How do you define expectation? If you were to take that word and define it in your own words, not by some dictionary, what would you define expectation by? I came up with my own, ex, uh, my, my own definition of expectation, and it goes like this. A good definition of expectation is actively anticipating what is to come. Now, expectation is not some idle form of waiting, but rather a committed form of movement in the direction of what is expected. When you expect something, it changes your outlook. It, 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 you actively begin to move in a direction of what you expect to happen. But before we go further, there are two different types of expectation. There's a healthy expectation and an unhealthy expectation. There's a realistic form of expectation and an unrealistic form of expectation. And I, I do a session in premarital counseling with couples, and I would do it with couples that are married, but not very often do married couples want to come see me. So, but if you want to be married by me, you have to go through premarital counseling. And I do a session or two on expectations, healthy and unhealthy expectations. Because here's what happens in marriages, is you come into marriage or relationships with a certain set of expectations. And it's formed by how you were raised, the stuff that you, the experiences you've gathered, all of that stuff you've carried into the relationship, be it realistic or unrealistic, and then you impose those expectations on your soon-to-be spouse or your spouse. <laughs> when those expectations are not met, what tends to happen in a relationship? Dun-dun-dun. Exactly, Julie. It is not pretty. Some of the biggest rifts in relationships or marriages is when one person doesn't live up to the other person's expectations. Can I tell you something? And this is no excuse not to live up to what you should be living up to, but nobody is perfect. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory. Guess what? God had an expectation for Adam and Eve. It was a healthy expectation. And they blew it. And God didn't say, all right, well, I'm done with you. Right? What did he do? There were consequences for unmet expectations, which were healthy on God's part, but he continued to pursue. Because he knew the reality existed that they could reject his offer of staying in perfect peace and tranquility for the rest of their lives. But they chose to do things their way and rebelled against God by disobeying him. And so they partook of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and their eyes were open to the reality of what they had just done, because what they had done was evil. They now had the knowledge of good and evil, because what they did in rebellion to God was evil. So let's look at these two types really quick. Realistic and unrealistic or healthy and unhealthy expectations. Healthy or realistic expectations are those that we can generally count on with a certain level of confidence. I expect, and I said this yesterday when I was talking, when Sarah Lee and I were talking with another couple, I 
should realistically and in a healthy way expect Sarah Lee to remain faithful to me in our marriage, and she should expect the same for me. That is a healthy expectation. Would you agree? I should not expect her to have dinner on the table every night at 5 p.m. sharp. Now, caveat, if there is an agreed upon set of things that you have determined, all right, you're going to take care of this and you're going to take care of that, and you've both agreed upon those rules of the house, then there is a healthy set of expectations that is to be had. But here's the other caveat to that. There are days that go crazy and chaotic, and you can't always fulfill every obligation that you set out to fulfill when stuff hits the fan in your daily routine, yes? So there is some grace in those expectations, those healthy expectations, right? Okay? What is an unhealthy or unrealistic expectation? They are characterized by excessive pressure on ourselves or others to do or to make things happen that are not necessarily reasonable. Okay? Sarah Lee and I had a really rough go at it in marriage. When we first started out, we got married, the first two to three years were extremely tumultuous, not because we were unfaithful to each other, but because we had both carried in these idealistic, perfect expectations that were not reasonable. And we impressed those on each other without even saying it to the other person. I just came in thinking it was naturally going to happen. What she should do and what I should do. I will take care of this, she will take care of that. I will act this way, she will act that way, and everything will be perfect. And she had the same set of expect or different set of expectations on the other end. He will be this way, he will do that thing, he will do this and this and this, and everything will be perfect. Guess what? It wasn't. You might meet the rare, exceptional couple that are perfectly aligned and they just are firing on all cylinders and it, oh, they're the sweetest, oh, they're the sweetest. This is why in that honeymoon period, it can cover those unmet, unmet expectations pretty easily because you're still somewhat infatuated with each other. And when that wears off and you smell the stink of the other person, you don't realize that that was really there because you're masked you're masked going into relationships a lot of time. And so one of the things, this is why I have this, these conversations with couples that are getting ready to get married. You're going to wake up and look at each other and go, oh, what did I do? Right? I mean, the teeth, the hair, and the smells, and you're going to be like, you'll, the react, and you'll be like, ugh. Or, now, you're going to hear me out on this. I know you, some of you are like, I can't believe he's saying that. That is so rude. But the reality is we have these expectations of what things are. It's like the movies, right? A husband and wife wake up in bed next to each other, and they're just primped and curled makeup on, and he's like, you know, got that nice rough shadow looking gray. What's up, baby? And the breath never stinks. That is not realistic, okay? Now, this isn't a sermon about marriage, but I want to set the stage for what we're going to be talking about today with the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. How does all of this tie together? Because 
the disciples, after Jesus' resurrection, after he appeared to more than 500 people and to the disciples themselves, and they touched the wounds in his head and the, and the wound in his side, and they realized this is really Jesus, they still had expectations on him. Did you know that? All right, now, woo! All right, you proved you are who you said you are. Are you going to do this now? Are you going to do this next? We have tendencies in faith and in our relationship with God to put God in this confined box of our own expectations. He must work and do what we expect him to work and do. And if he doesn't, we get ticked off in him and we think, well, maybe God just doesn't exist after all. I see it all the time. If God is really good and loving, he would do what I expect him to do. He would not let me encounter these difficulties I'm going through. He would not let me hit the wall in my job. He would not, he would not have let my marriage fall apart or my child run off in rebellion. He would not have let my mom die when I was five. If God was God would have done exactly the right things. And see, the problem is we have in our mind the definition of right and wrong, and we don't see from the heavenly position of right and wrong. See, one of the reasons we have expectations on God is because we do have a word called the Bible that tell us how God works and moves. But if you're really a student of the word, you realize he doesn't do things the same way all the time. Actually, if you're truly a student of the word, you realize the people God used were those who had really rough situations in life. They were childless. They couldn't bear children. Eventually, they were able to. Or there was sibling rivalry. You know, I don't know why we expect everything in life to be perfect in this broken and fallen world, especially when we come to Christ. The thing that changes when we make a decision to surrender our lives to Christ is that we are now saved from eternal damnation and sin and death that would encapsulate us in this place called hell. Yes, your life on this earth will be much different and in a good way, but it will also be different in a bad way. Let me explain. When you come to Christ in salvation, you've been set free from sin and death. That burden and that weight of all that you've ever done wrong is now forgiven and it's never held against you again. You are free from that. You also are able to walk in a sense of peace and joy. You're able to experience this sense of peace that passes understanding, as Paul calls it. As you grow in your faith, you become more mature. You're able to endure difficulties that you maybe weren't able to endure before. But there's nowhere in the Bible that says when you come to faith in Christ, it's going to be easy sailing from that point on. And if you've been sold that bill of goods at any church, I apologize, because that's not true. It's a false gospel. There's difficulties that come with being a believer in Christ. Why? Because you stand against the world. Not because you're saying, I'm against the world, but because the world rejects that which is close to God. 
Do you know why the world rejects God? And I'm not saying just individuals. The world that is in, entrenched in this sin and death and evil, it automatically rejects what is from God and what is good and what is holy. So when you make a decision to become a believer in Christ, the world's going to reject you. This is what Jesus said all the time. When they reject you, remember, they rejected me. When they hate you, they hated me. You will come under persecution, but pray for those who persecute you. Love them. Don't respond evil for evil, but overcome the evil that is against you from other people by doing what is good and right and wholesome. You hear me quote this all the time, John 16, Jesus says, in this world you will have troubles of many kinds. He's not saying you might. Hey, in this world you might have trouble. No, he says, in this world you will have troubles. So why would we expect when we come to Christ that everything is going to be perfect for us on this earth? It's not. But we will have a way through the deep, dark valleys of the shadow of death that we can then fear no evil because what? We know God is with us. That is our sustaining, our sustaining force and power within us through the power of the Holy Spirit. So now Jesus has been resurrected. He's given himself as a witness to others saying, hey, come on, everybody touch, feel, see, it's me, I'm, I'm back. But now... As we go into the book of Acts, we left the book of Luke, Luke, uh, the gospel of Luke, which is written by Luke. Now, Luke wrote another book called Acts, and this is a continuation of the story. So in Acts chapter 1, starting with verse 1, it reads like this. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instruction through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. Hey, anybody got a piece of fish? You got something to eat around here? Remember that last week? Okay. You got something to eat? And they gave him broiled fish, and they stood there and watched him as he ate. That was creepy in and of itself. But do you remember? So he's proving to them, yeah, it's me. I'm alive. I'm real flesh and blood. Here I am. But the flesh and blood that he is, is in his resurrected form is not cursed by the weathering effects of life and death. No disease, pain, sorrow, sin, death. Nothing can ever touch that resurrected body. So it says, Luke, Luke's reminding Theophilus, he proved to his believers he was alive. A lot of people saw him. And they talk, he talked to them about the kingdom of God. You know one of the biggest, or the, the, the topic Jesus talked about the most in the Gospels was the kingdom of God. And so Luke is reiterating that. He talked to them about the kingdom of God. And then listen to this, verse 4. Once, when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not, what was he doing? Did you catch that again? Okay. There's food in heaven. It's just, it's not for nourishment and sustenance. It's for joy. All right. Somebody asked me, what, are, what, what about the waste products? I, I, I have no biblical evidence for this, but suffice it to say, I don't think there are waste products. I don't think there are toilets in heaven. I just think you eat for joy 
for the taste of it and for fellowship with each other. And there's no waste products. How's that? Okay, that's my, that's my take on it. It's just Brandon's idea. Don't take it as the gospel truth, all right? But when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You want to read about this right here, what he's talking about? Go to John chapter 3. It's where we get, for God so loved the world, okay? In that whole chapter, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus about the same, same, same situation. You know, you need to be born again. You need to be baptized into the Holy Spirit. So he says, when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, all right, now here's the expectation part. Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore your kingdom? Okay, so you remember Jesus got crucified. Where did all the disciples go? They went away. They scattered all over the place. And, and actually, the scripture in the Old Testament said the sheep would scatter. They would not be around. Okay? The sheep, meaning the disciples. And so now, when Jesus is crucified, they are disheartened. They're down and out. They're frustrated. They're saying, we, we thought, remember Cleopas on the road to uh, Emmaus? He said, we thought that he was the one to do what? Exactly what they're asking him in this passage right here. He had died on the cross. We thought he was going to be the one to set us free from bondage by the Roman government. And now, Jesus is risen. He's shown them, to, and he's proven he is who he says he is. And they're all like, yes, he's back. It is him. Now are you going to fix the problems we're living in? Are you gonna do you, you gonna stick it to our oppressors, the Romans, the person? Are you gonna the ones who are persecuting us and holding us under the thumb? Now you're gonna take them out, right? Now you're going to establish your kingdom on earth in your risen body, and we're gonna be your leaders, right? And he replied. The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. He is gently rebuking them. It's like, it's none of your business. Okay, that's really, if we want to put it in modern terms, he's saying, none of your business. The Father is the only one who knows that. But then he goes on to say, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, through Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Do you see what he's saying? He's changing the subject as he always did whenever somebody came to him with a question. Not changing the subject, he's rephrasing the question. Okay? Jesus, you're going to do what we expect you to do. And he's like, yeah, that's really none of your business. Here's, here's what I want you to do. That's really what's going on here. He said, uh, you're going to be my witnesses. Doesn't say you're going to be citizens of the Roman government or you're going to be citizens of this kingdom that is going to overthrow the Roman government. He is telling them, though, that they will receive a gift of the Holy Spirit, which is the third person of the Trinity, which we're going to talk about a little bit today in regard to this. Okay? He redirected them 
to what was most important, not to what they had expected. After saying this, he was taken up in a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. And as they strained to see him rising to heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Here's what's interesting about that. Have you ever let go of a helium balloon? And You know, it gets carried by the wind and all of that. Have you ever watched it until it got out of sight? See, I get the image of the Jesus ascending to heaven. The disciples are standing there and just like watching a helium or one of those balloons and and you're like can we gate do you guys still see it and then suddenly there are white robed men standing there but they're staring up to heaven can you imagine it's like where'd you guys come from you're looking in the wrong place he'll be back you do what he told you to do stick around in jerusalem he's sending the holy spirit and so here's the key point. As faith-filled believers in Christ, we are to wait expectantly on his return. Are you waiting expectantly on the return of Christ? Not giving in to all these modern-day interpretations of signs and wonders. We, these signs and wonders, let's be honest. Is there any one of these that truly haven't been fulfilled? If you look at Acts chapter 24, when Jesus said, these things must happen before our return. Check it out. Um, we're pretty darn close, okay? But see, they were pretty darn close in other generations too. Jesus says, don't speculate on the times. Don't try to set dates of my return. Do you know people have done that for centuries? Where were you, how many of you, <laughs> how many of you remember Y2K? Were you scared? Were you scared to death? The computers are going to go kaboot, and we're all going to go down. The planes are going to be falling out of the sky. The nuclear power plants are going to go whoop. Some of you don't remember that. What about uh, December the 20, was it December the 21st of 2012? The end of the Mayan calendar? Ooh. I'm a history buff. I love these kind of the history channels running stuff all the time. The Mayan calendar, it's coming to an end. What are we going to do? I don't know. They died centuries ago. They're no longer here. So, yeah. Well, actually, their descendants are, but their culture is not. So, well, all right. That's a different story for a different time. But, uh, yeah, December came and went of 2012. Do you know back in the 1800s, there was a group... Uh, called the Seven Day Adventists, who who met to, who sold all their possessions. They had the the leader of that group had determined this is when Jesus is coming back. I've done the calculations, and everybody just needs to sell off everything. We're going to buy white robes, and we're going to go stand out on this hillside, and at just this moment, it's going to happen. And so. Everybody sold all their belongings. They, they gave everything away, and they had white robes. They were standing out on this hillside, and the time came and went, and nothing happened. And so he's like, oh, no, 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 okay, I'm, I'm, my, my calculation must have been off, so they tried it again. It still didn't happen. You know, God doesn't work according to our expectations. I, I'm just saying that again. 
You can, you can scheme and try to figure out, and you can calculate and do whatever you want to, but the thing that Jesus left us with is don't, fi- don't try to figure out all this stuff. I want you to be my witnesses. I've given you what you need to live in this broken and fallen world, to have faith in me, to know there are going to be difficulties. You stay firm in your faith, keep your eyes fixed on me, and, and, and it's going to be okay. But when you get your eyes off Jesus, as I mentioned last week with Peter walking on the water, when you get your eyes off Jesus and you focus on other things, what tends to happen? You start to sink. When I get my eyes on the world and the news, and I love to read the news, I can feel my soul sinking in the quagmire of the evil of this world. Because I have a certain set of expectations too. This is what needs to happen. This is what needs to happen. We need to vote this person and that person. And I'm not saying you shouldn't be responsible in politics and vote biblically. But the reality is we live in a world that is broken. And it's going to continue to be broken until Jesus comes back. But what did Jesus tell his disciples that he yet tells us today? Be my witnesses. We are citizens of a kingdom, and it is not just the United States. Our primary citizenry is where? What did Jesus talk to them about after he rose from the grave? He talked to them more about the kingdom of God. You, as believers of Christ, much like the 12 disciples were, are citizens of that kingdom. That is your primary citizenry. We are told often in Scripture that the, world, the nations and the kingdoms of the world rise and fall, rise and fall. Do you know the United States will not last forever? And I know it's horrible. I love living where we are. I have nothing against the United States. I am not anti-American. I am very pro-American. I think we live on the best country of the face of the earth. But I also know that that is not the kingdom of God. It has at times reflected that and at other times not it is an imperfect kingdom in the world as all kingdoms are but god's people should remain consistent throughout no matter what happens no matter what nation rises or falls our citizenry remains as kingdom citizens of god's kingdom And we are promised and told that that kingdom will last forever. That's where I'm putting all of my stock is in that kingdom. I will fight for the nation we are in to continue to be a free people. But I also know that kingdom that God is in is the one I've created for. So where are my expectations? Fight the good fight of faith in the world in which you live and expect the best from God knowing that sometimes the worst may happen not from God but from the world we are they were expected to wait on the Holy Spirit I uh, in the church today we have too many people idly waiting than rather actively waiting on the Lord do you know in those 10 days that Jesus had risen from from the grave he was ascended to heaven he's on the on the earth for 40 days and then he ascended to heaven he said go back in Jerusalem wait I'm gonna send the helper I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit to you and here's what I want you to do wait there do you know what they do while they waited they ate 
They fellowship together. They continue to encourage one another. They didn't just stay stuck in a room together for 10 days. They prayed. They worshiped. They waited expectantly because Jesus had given them a reason to wait. And as they were waiting, actively waiting on that 10th day, what day we call Pentecost, which we'll talk about next Sunday, the Holy Spirit came like a mighty rushing wind and invaded that space. And tongues of something like tongues of fire rested over the disciples' heads. And they were infused with the power of the Holy Spirit who dwelled within them now. And they spilled out onto the streets and began to preach the message of good news. And people were saved. But while they waited, they waited upon the Lord. Too many of us don't wait on the Lord actively. We, we, we don't like to wait, period. We, we like to go and do and move, and we think, all right, God, is, what do I do? What do I do? I, I don't know. Let's just uh, roll the dice, figure it out. I'm going to go this way. Because we are so conditioned in our culture with this fast-paced living that we don't really know how to wait anymore. Now, waiting doesn't mean idly sitting by and doing nothing, but when you have been given a commission by God, you continue to do what God has told you to do until he tells you to do something different. That's the kind of waiting we are called to. Does this make sense? Are, are you still with me? Okay. The term uh, powerless Christian is an oxymoron, but powerless Christians and powerless churches are seemingly all around us today. The problem that ensues when believers in Christ or the church as a whole do not actively wait on the Lord, their strength wanes and their soul decays. The evidence of this results in mindless activity that leads to boredom and ultimately indifference. I see a lot of busy churches doing a lot of things, but God never called them to do those things. And they're running themselves and their, their, their volunteers and everything, they're, rag, they're running them ragged with just activity. We gotta, we gotta keep up with this church or do that thing. Hey, I saw this thing at a leadership conference. We need to do this. Or what about that? And what about this? And Sadly, we've done those things too. Because we think we have to be busy with activity to be glorifying God when sometimes God says, stop, just stop. It's like Mary and Martha. Mary's at the feet of Jesus while he's still alive. Martha is in, as would have been customary of the day, cooking the meal, getting things prepared for dinner that evening. And Mary, every few minutes, I can see her, she's getting, you ever get to the, you're like, oh, I'm getting, I'm getting angrier and angrier. I'm getting, ooh, I'm getting so mad, right? And she's in there, she, and she starts to slam things, and I'm going to cut this, and, you know, and she's starting to get ticked off to the point where she's hit her limit, and she goes out and she rebukes Jesus. <laughs> did you catch that she didn't rebuke mary mary what are you doing get your butt in there and help me no she said jesus tell mary to get off her duff and get in there mary uh, martha had a set of expectations that were not being met were they realistic when jesus is in the house there is nothing more important 
food can wait. Our, our routines can wait. Our activities can wait as we sit in the presence of the Lord. See, I think the problem our churches don't have the power of the Holy Spirit because we basically said without saying this outright, God, we got this, got it all figured out. I heard from this leadership guru or this pastor of this mega church, and if we just do it by these steps, it's going to be perfect. And Jesus says, but what about my steps? Are you reaching the lost and baptizing them? Are you teaching them my whole word? Everything I taught you, are you teaching them that? Not just some of it, but all of it. Are you, are you going into the world? Or are you sitting in holy huddles? Brandon, I, I just don't know what to do. I, how am I supposed to do that? You go with what you got. If God has blessed you with salvation, you've at least got that, and you can tell somebody your story. Keep moving forward in the grace of God and the Father is the other thing we need to be doing. Theologian Will Willeman writes, the opening episode ends with the angelic reproof. Why do you stand here looking into heaven? There is work to be done. Let the church be about that work in the meantime. Secure in the promise that Jesus who was so dramatically taken from his disciples, shall return to them in the same way. Can I, can I be honest with you? <laughs> We're still looking like this. Right? Many of our churches, I see it. Pastor Brandon, it's the end of time. It's coming. Jesus got to be any day now, any day now, and we're doing this. Have we been called to do this? I mean, praise and worship, yes, don't get me wrong. But have we been called to be? No, we are to be expectant. At any given moment, Christ can return. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. But we aren't called. What happens if I'm walking around doing this all the time? Or this? <laughs> Which I've done. I've tripped, I've fallen, I've, you know. But we are not to be so focused on the sky that we aren't witnesses for him in the here and now. Let us be found doing the work he left us to do so that when he comes, we can stand approved. This is a big money-making business, this end-of-time stuff. There's so many books and movies out there. You know why? Because they're doing this instead of doing this. We are to be servants, caring for the lost, caring for those who know Christ and helping the widows and the orphans. But it's not just your pastor's job. Look around you. Take a minute, look around you. Seriously. And this isn't everybody. Not everybody shows up on every Sunday that calls this their home church. Pastor didn't visit me. He hasn't visited me in a while. I'm trying. I'm really working hard. I promise you. I'm trying to. The reality is the church, the hands and the feet are to be reaching to each other. 
and reaching out of themselves to the world as witnesses and as conduits of God's grace to pull them into the kingdom of God where their eternity is, or at least should be. We are to keep moving forward, not keep looking up. And I know that sounds antithetical, right? Keep looking up. Keep looking up. Well, yeah, have a positive attitude because God is good and our joy and hope is found in him. But keep looking forward and pressing on with the work he's called us to do until he returns. Okay? Did I skip over a point? I did. Give witness to Christ in the world. Keep moving forward in the, in the grace of God. I hit two points in one. How's that? Let me close with this. Um, there's a parable told about a traveler nearing a great city who asked the old man on the side of the street, before you come into town, this old guy, just there with this cane on a bench right at the entrance of the city. The guy says, hey, what are, what are the people like in this city? And the man replied, well, what were they like where you came from? Oh, they were a terrible lot, the traveler said. They were mean, untrustworthy, detestable in all respects. Ah, said the old man, you'll find them the same way in the city ahead. Scarcely had the first traveler left when another stopped to ask the same question to the old man. So what are the people like in this city? Again, the old man asked him, what were they life in the city you left? Or what were they like in the city you just left? Oh, they're fine people, honest, industrious, generous to a fault. I'm sorry to say that I didn't want to leave, but I had to. The old wise man said, you'll find them the same way ahead in the city right here. <laughs> we typically find what we're looking for. Okay, do you understand what I'm saying? The question is, what are you looking for? What are you expecting? If you expect drudgery, deceit, rejection, guess what you're going to get? Guess what you're going to notice? You get what you noticed most. Like I said, I read the news a lot, and I find myself sinking in the quagmire of disgust and frustration at the condition of the world around me, at the condition of the church globally. And I find myself getting inverted and negative and cynical. Why? Because I'm then, as I'm inundating myself with all of this junk, instead of looking at it through the eyes of God, I look, at it, I look at it through cynical eyes and say, well, nothing's going to get better. You ever heard that? Never going to get better. It's horrible. Uh, yeah, probably not. But you can be better. It may not get better. Actually, it says, Jesus says, it will be like it was in the days of Noah before he returns what do you expect did you know that it will be like it was in the days of noah how was it in the days of noah in genesis 6 it was pretty nasty it says it was so evil and corrupt that even the thoughts of individuals were evil and wicked 
There was nothing good. And God said, I got to wipe everything out. It's going nowhere fast. As a matter of fact, it's going downhill even worse. Jesus says it will be like it was in the days of Noah before I return. He told us what to expect, but he told us what to do as well. And we should do what he called us to do and expect what he called us to expect, but keep our eyes fixed on him in the process. As our worship team comes forward today to close us out, that's my question for you is, what are you expecting today? Did you come to church expecting something? And was it healthy and realistic or unhealthy and unrealistic? Or did you just go through the motions to come here today? Did you log on today, those of you at home or wherever you are listening to this message, did you log on with a certain level of expectancy? The pastor better preach good. The worship better, the worship better be nice. What were your expectations? Did you have any? Are you just mindlessly wondering? It's okay to have a healthy set of expectations. It's not okay to have an unhealthy set of expectations. What do you expect in your relationships? What you expect will probably happen because you're focused on that. You're focused on the good or you're focused on the bad. I don't know where you are today. I don't know what you're expecting. I don't know what you feel. I know many of you feel discouraged. Many of you feel frustrated. You feel down and out. And maybe it's because you do have a level of expectation that's not being met and it's unhealthy. Maybe it's time to lay those expectations at the foot of the cross and say, Lord, give me your expectations instead of me having expectations on you. Lord, what do you expect of me? I have no expectations whatsoever except the promises you give me in your word and the work you give me to do. That's what I expect. What do you desire of me? To do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with the Lord. Be witnesses for him in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the world. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love your enemy. Do good to those who harm you. Pray for those who persecute you. That's what I want you to do. That's what you should expect, but that's what I want you to do. It's not easy, but it's good. Our altars are always open. If you need somebody to pray with you, you come to my right, your left. If you want to pray alone, come to my left, your right. Would you pray with me? Father, um, we love you, like I said again. And we're sorry for all those times that we've imposed a set of expectations on you that were not realistic. We're sorry for blaming you for things that are not your fault. And Lord, we ask your forgiveness for not continuing the work you've called us to because we've been staring at the sky. We know you're returning. You promised you would. In the meantime, you've called us to wait upon you. And when we do that, our strength is renewed. <laughs> I don't know why we don't just listen and, and apply that. 
when we wait upon you, when we trust in you, our strength is renewed. But when we look at the world around us and put too much stock in all of these things in the world, and then we become weakened and discouraged and frustrated, help us to keep our eyes fixed on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. We love you, Father. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's Word. Make sure to visit us on our website, www.northmaincog.org, where you can learn more about us. If you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be helpful too. Donating to the ongoing ministry of North Main is easy. Just go to our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.